Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everybody and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. Every week we dive into different areas of the professional industry, whether it's film, television, online. Today we're going to be talking about music videos, short films, (laughs) stage visuals, 3D Octane, and of course a little bit of space, space, space. Yep, all my favorite things. (laughs) Thanks so much David Ariev for being on the show today, mate. Absolutely, man. How's it going? Really, really good. So... David, just want you to take a couple of minutes and tell the audience what you're doing at the moment and how you fit into the professional industry. What am I doing at the moment? I'm, I just finished up doing some visuals for Katy Perry, which was super awesome. I did like the whole intro to her show. Um, yeah, what else? I don't know. <laughs> I've been making, making tutorials for EJ, um, which is great. He's one of my good buddies, and that's been like super gratifying to kind of give back to the community um, and be Octane Jesus and, you know, make tutorials. I don't feel like I know that much, but when I do f- discover something, I like to share it back and, and contribute and stuff. Yeah, that's where I first came across you online is um, oh, cool. Cinema 4D Octane Tutorials. Sweet, man. Yeah, and when I was looking into the whole GPU thing and then seeing um, your work on a lot of music videos, that was the next thing. Um, when, when the Walk Away music video came right. out, you know, it was just epic. And then to see that you had Sweet. made it, but not only that, you oh, so by you yourself. actually like, found my tutorials first and then you saw the music video? I heard you on the BroGraph podcast and then cool, cool. yeah, and then I went, I uh, had to see what they were talking about. <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, dude. Um, sorry. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of get a little nervous for these things, especially if like the spotlights on me, maybe that's something we can actually talk about is like, I, I feel like I battle with like, you know, um, like, especially if I'm presenting or all the attention's on me, I'm not used to that. You know, I get kind of like nervous, like any time, like for the first like five minutes of any time I'm presenting, like during my SIGGRAPH presentation, I all out froze for like a minute. I was like, oh crap. Oh, what am I doing? Who am I? What am I talking about? You know, I kind of like psych myself out sometimes if I'm like, all the attention is on me. Does that same thing happen to you or not? Um, me, yeah, I've definitely felt that I get the butterflies before and then as soon as i stand up and present i'm just like okay you're just like you're talk. super chill just talk you're like a matt milstead you can just go yeah <laughs> but i hate that beforehand <laughs> bit man uh, the nerves are flying and you're just like exactly imposter syndrome it's like who am i <laughs> exactly yeah i'm like exactly i'm like oh no I, I shouldn't be up here this is you know i'm not i'm not uh qualified to to talk and i you know i don't know what the hell i'm talking about <laughs> oh yeah, but you so all the freaking time <laughs> thanks man <laughs> it's like the fact is that you're producing work that's really exceptional um the walk away music video is just outstanding and there's going to be a link like everything else in the show there'll be links so take a minute and watch that for a few minutes um so that you can understand what we're talking about because this is you this is you making this music video by yourself Four months right. of work, and it's it's just exceptionally stunning. It's beautifully cool. rendered and animated. It's it's like big ups to you, man. It's really nice. <laughs> Thanks, 
thanks, dude. That's kind of like what I enjoy doing is getting myself in way over my head and like gradually unburying myself. So like throughout my career, I've made a habit of just kind of doing really extremely like ambitious projects for myself, which, you know, push me. And I mean, I don't do them all the time because that would be exhausting. You know, it's like maybe once a year kind of thing. I'll, I'll dive into a project that seems like way outside my comfort zone. Uh, and it definitely pays off. I've been doing that um, just like since just since the very first time I got into even any kind of editing, you know, just gone with like things that I find really ambitious and fun. Yeah, living in that fear zone, that that zone exactly. of um, excitement. It's like you you have this uh, vision of what's achievable, and you don't know how to get there, but you're you're stepping into this abyss, and it's like, well, I just exactly. have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. It's it's a really challenging one to keep putting yourself out there, um, and and it's interesting to see when you do do that that what you think that you're aiming for. It I've found myself that it doesn't end up in that place. It usually ends up somewhere better, at, but slightly to the left or right of that goal. <clears throat> totally, yeah. yeah. It's never exactly what you imagine in your head. Yeah, yeah. So when you started this um, music video, um, mm-hmm. what was like the process of doing this on your own what was the process was it talking with the artists about um what they wanted and to achieve um it so the process was extremely inefficient and totally (laughs) hacked (laughs) um like so okay so the artist i had actually worked with this artist once before on a previous music video which was called um uh save us all which was the cruise ship one i don't know if you've check that one out. Um, but that was what I did my NAB 2016 talk on, which was that video of like people jumping off the cruise ship and it was like a good part CG. So that was another ambitious one that I probably spent about 300 hours on. Um, so I'd worked with this artist and this director before the director is someone named Derek Bort who, um, directed the film, the Joneses with David Duchovny and Demi Moore. Um, and I'd worked, with him on several projects, like doing some kind of logo resolves for him, like this Storyland Pictures logo resolve that he really liked. That was one of the first projects I did when I jumped off into freelancing. Um, and then I also did like this ridiculous, like quote unquote, epic bar mitzvah video for So there was like literally this intro video for this kid's bar mitzvah, yeah. uh, with this kid, like riding on a magic carpet. Um, and so yeah, I had done <laughs> several CG projects with this dude. Um, so he kind of, uh, trusted me to do something a little more ambitious, and so did uh, the artist uh, Michael Marquart. Um, I don't know if that's actually how you say it. it might be Marquart, whatever. Um, super nice guy. He lives in Virginia Beach, and so does Derek Bort. So the artist and the director kind of approached me with this idea to create like this kind of astronaut drifting through derelict space environment, seeing tree of life esque visions was their pitch to me, um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm on board let's do it. You know, uh, how about 15 grand, (laughs) you know, (laughs) um, which was like in retrospect, half of what I should have asked or like less, you know, but I just wanted to, um, get them to say yes. Right. Um, so they did. And I just kind of went, went off and started, um, experimenting and making style frames. I think I did style frames for maybe three weeks or so. Um, and then after that, um, it was just kind of like, previs a little bit like just creating kind of gray renders we actually did like the first um maybe 30 seconds 
of the video and took that to completion. So like he kind of gave me some very rough uh, storyboards, um, just, you know, really, really simple drawings. And I took, I found some, you know, environments that he liked. So we were like looking at all these different, I kind of collected um, every asset known to man. So I like collected all of these sci-fi assets that I had in my library. And I also took screenshots of like every turbo squid asset I could find that looked like vaguely sci-fi. And I was like, what do you like? What's cool? Like, let's find some kind of starting point, some kind of, um, playground to experiment in, you know? Um, cause I was also interested in like stuff like world machine and generating like those kind of landscapes for sure. But, um, it definitely helps to have, uh, something concrete to start with. And I still, I'm no good at modeling. I'm only just starting. Like I recently did a work retreat for a week just to learn Fusion, Fusion 360 yep. and actually begin the process of learning hard surface modeling because you can really um, control the art, like create your own art from scratch that way. And that's like, to me, it's like half of CG is just creating good models. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I'm just missing this huge chunk. I've been just focusing on like lighting, texturing, you know, animation, all these other things. But so I'm finally like, you know, doing the thing, the elephant in the room that I, that I'm, that I've been avoiding so long, you know? Um, but yeah, so my process up until now was cause I could get away with it. And I'm always looking for hack solutions. The fastest way to do things, shortcuts, um, was just starting with turbo squid, like scouring turbo squid and finding something that we could buy to, to begin with and then retexture it and stuff like that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, thank goodness for turbo squid. That's all I, I know, have to right? say. It's, um, yeah, because like if I had if I had modeled all that stuff myself, I think it would have taken like another year, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and way more years to even get to that point to be able to do that, you know? Yeah, it's um, when we're doing a lot of 3D projects, it's the first place we stop at and it, it just makes sense the amount of hours to do the modeling versus buying the asset and supporting those that are so passionate and that's what they do so well. I just think it makes sense, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like hiring a specialist to do yeah. the thing, you know. But, but um, having one place where everything's searchable, um, there's just so many things on offer. I, I do wish that they would, like the Cinema 4D filter would actually have, like, it's a real Cinema 4D file, <laughs> not just, you know, <laughs> with materials and things, because it's, yeah, there's a little bit of um, work, but when you're working in another GPU renderer like Octane, like you are, mm-hmm. you're looking to retexture it anyway. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how did you get the name Octane Jesus? I was interested in that. <laughs> um, okay, so I think it was actually someone on one of EJ's tutorials. First, they were calling me you know, Grizzly Adams, like Octane, which I didn't even know what that was. Then I went and looked up. It's like some TV show from the seventies. Uh, but then someone else was like Octane Jesus. Uh, I can't remember exactly who it is, but someone wrote into the Burgraph podcast and took credit for it. Like, uh, <laughs> as the ori- originator of the Octane Jesus, uh, name, but it's just cause I have long hair. I either get Jesus or I get Paul Rudd. Um, you know, uh, I was on like this, uh, this feature film and like the, the craft services guy like came up to me and he was like, you know who you look like. And I'm expecting like Paul Rudd. Right. And he goes, sneaky Jesus. I'm like, who the hell is sneaky Jesus? <laughs> He's like, sneaky Jesus. Uh, so it was like some ca- character from uh, the Zach Galifianakis show or something. So yeah, people, often just call me like Jesus because I have long hair. Nice, nice. <laughs> so I'm, I just ran with it. I'm like, all right, I'm Octane Jesus. And then, you know, you just make jokes from there, you know? Yeah. I think you've, um, you've yeah. fully fleshed it out with the beard. The beard's like the final, yeah. final clincher. 
Yeah, I, sometimes I do grow out the beard, but it just gets it gets weird and stuff starts living in there, and you know, <laughs> just gotta trim it. Um, so one of the more recent pieces of work has been the Katy Perry, and that's for her um, show opener for um, some pretty spectacular opening visuals. And oh, thanks. And over three different screens, it looks like projected. Was it just projected on three screens, or how was the projection yeah, mapping? It's, it's all, I think it's all LED, so it's like an actual 5K LED screen. Okay. Um, and it's like the center eye, you know, it's just this like big eye. So I guess it's split up into three screens where, you know, it's kind of either side of the, the iris, you know, the eyeball shape, but then there's that center eye, but it just kind of gets mapped across all three. I didn't have to worry about that or deal with that very much at all. Yeah. Uh, I just knew like the overall aspect ratio and that, you know, whatever I was making was going to get cut out into an eyeball kind of shape. Um, and the kind of very intro where it's more, um, you know, kind of like swirly and, and circling around that center iris. Um, I didn't do that part. I just did the part, you know, immediately afterwards where we're like flying past the planets. And then we, we zoom into this interstellar kind of tunnel with the satellites going around. And, you know, so I didn't have to worry about the, the stuff that was more exactly mapped to those three screens. They kind of, that was more. Right. on their end and also the super nice thing was that they rendered everything for me because like imagine rendering in 5k like yeah. just sounds like yeah kill yourself <laughs> yeah yeah even uh, with cloud rendering it's quite a costly affair to get that that amount of pixels out I was talking with Rich Nosworthy on a early early show oh yeah yeah he had done some kind of like 6k he had done like the biggest uh, rendering to date or something. I listened to that podcast. <laughs> oh, no way, dude. That's insane. That's absurd. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of just nuts. So, um, the, are you feeling like you might be typecasting yourself into a whole space, space, space? <laughs> <laughs> this was a, yeah, this was a topic on the Burgraph podcast about a week ago, but honestly, I'm not sad about it if I do, cause I really enjoy making the space imagery. Yeah. Like, um, and it's, it's it's kind of in a way good to typecast yourself. Um, for instance, like Beeple, I feel like why one of the reasons why he's so successful is because he for years generated the the momentum of this daily rendering project, you know, and creating his own art and his own experiments and like finding out what interests him. It's like al- almost like doing your own self directed research, right? Yeah. But that momentum of the project attracts clients to his work and then the clients come to him and say hey i want this thing that's like what you've already made that's your passion project you know and so he then can go into that world and make more people and expand on it and that's kind of like living the dream where you're you know 24 7 making um the kind of art that you are interested in you know yeah Uh, and that's what i feel like makes you so good like i've started for the first like i don't know four or so years of my career, I was an Uber generalist. Like I did DIT editing, color grading, you know, um, VFX, motion graphics, like the whole, the works, like anything. Um, a lot of it because I lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, which was kind of the middle of nowhere for, for filmmaking. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I just had to pay the bills however I could. And that like definitely got me a broad filmmaking sense, you know, got me really comfortable in front of the camera. That's the other thing I didn't mention was also just actually being a filmmaker and actually going out and shooting on like a red with a steady cam. Like at one point I dropped my whole salary on DSLRs and, you know, just going crazy with cameras and stuff in an attempt to be able to communicate better with the people at my work who are the DPs and whatnot. Um, 
what were you going to say? Um, I always think that having experience in all these other disciplines really cements your foundation when you do specialize. So having yeah, that ab- absolutely, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, for me, it's like I didn't know that this was you know, a good thing to do, but it's what I happen to do, which is be a crazy generalist at first and like explore everything, get a handle on what all the different disciplines are, at least visually. I still, you know, don't much know much about, uh, audio, but, and then, you know, once you've discovered your passion, like for me, it was just creating CG. Like for a while I thought it was VFX for sure. Right. And I was doing tons of VFX where I would do like the entire, like, hundred shots for a full feature film, you know, and just like bite off way more than I could chew that way or split it up with like one other person. Um, but out of those hundred shots, there would be like maybe four that I really enjoyed. And those ones happened to be like the bigger CG shots. So it, it really turns out that I enjoy just doing pure CG, not really combining it with live action, you know, like they do in the awesome title sequences by like Raul Marx, um, you know, and elastic, um, stuff like that. So I think that's, my passion and using octane for sure. And, and, you know, GPU rendering in general. Um, but you know, creating stuff that's approaching photorealistic, um, uh, yeah, 3d. So you were the visual effects supervisor on the short film singularity and oh, yeah. that was, um, <clears throat> CG composited with live shot. And, and I thought that, yeah, that, that was several years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That was like four years, four or five years ago. There was some really nice integration though in that. With oh, cool! Contact lighting and um, yeah, just really yeah, well exactly done. yeah. So yeah, this is a passion project that my um, buddy Eric Hurt uh, created. So he's like this DP that I worked with in Charlottesville a lot. So I was lucky that there were other really talented filmmakers in Charlottesville because it's a really small area. You know, it's like two hours to DC, an hour to Richmond, but Charlottesville itself is is you know not that big. Um, but yeah, so he, um, you know, this was another instance where, you know, I just kind of blindly agreed to do something that I had no idea if I could pull off. I hadn't really done this kind of integration before. Um, but he had the great idea. So, so towards the end of the short film, there's this marble that the kid is holding that levitates up and kind of explodes into a little like solar system, um, with a sun kind of thing in the middle. And that's like the singularity, um, so he shot it in the middle of the woods, um, in the fall with like a single, like dimmable light in the center, um, where, um, you know, he, he dimmed it up and down to get that contact lighting. So like when the kid reaches out, you have that actual spill on the hand, which obviously sells the CG better. And that's what we always tried to do together was create, you know, um, instances where we could really have that practical interaction to, to sell the CG much better. So he, he actually made my life a lot easier and made my CG look a lot better by, you know, thinking up ways that we could, you know, sell the two together. Um, the big challenge on that one to me was just removing the stand because all the shots were 3d. So I had to like figure out camera projection and all that kind of stuff and like hack that together in after effects to remove that little light stand. And then I like put a bunch of particles in there with particular. Um, and then I used element 3d, which was my, my first like GPU love at the time, you know, to create those uh, planets and that solar system. So yeah, that was another like maybe 200 hour project for me. Um, but those are always the most fun where I get to like spend a long time on something and go, you know, really deep into it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And looping back into the Katy Perry show openers, um, the planets mm-hmm. and stuff, was that like a, yeah. a heart on one of those planets that I saw coming at the very start? That's actually, 
that's actually Pluto. Pluto has a heart on it, like heart shape on it already. If you look up an image of Pluto, um, it actually has that heart, which is hilarious. But, um, yeah, I just, I grabbed, um, Mitch Myers cause I'm always trying to start from some, like when I start a project, I'm like, I look at all the tutorials that have been released on that project, like to try to get my head around what other people have done so that I can start from that as a foundation rather than bang my head against the wall forever. Like I might not come up with as original of a solution, but I feel like when I bash several tutorials together and all these, you know, already well-developed assets, then I come up with something that's much more nicely art directed. So, um, I started with, you know, Mitch Myers VDB pack. He's one of my really good friends and, uh, his planet pack. And then I tweaked them from there. So I took Pluto and I color shifted it for a bunch of the planets. I have my own planet that I designed on my space, space, space music video, um, with all the light cracks coming out. So I shifted the color on that. So I just did a bunch of like you know pretty easy cheats but i also um baked out some different noises from cinema 4d um so you can actually just go and you know because cinema 4d's noise system is better than octanes where you can layer up a bunch of different noises like luca and all those different types to get something more complex so i rendered out like an 8k um image essentially of tileable noise um and i did that because um you know when octane tries to interpret c4d's noise at 8k it just it just like you know chokes on itself yeah um so it's a lot better to render out a texture and then bring it back in um so i did that for a lot of the planets and then you know just had other little maps uh to create like kind of glowy features and had fun designing planets and i also took uh, mitch myers's vdb pack and um you know just cloned out a bunch of VDBs, though the issue there is that when they're overlapping in Octane, you get this horrible error. Like they can't intersect because you get these hard lines. Um, and that's just like an issue where, you know, Octane sucks compared to Redshift. Like Liam, I recently watched him on, on his stream, like clone, like do the thing that you would actually expect to do, which is take a VDB and put it in a cloner. Yep. Um, and then, you know, put a random effector in there to get various like scale and, and rotation so that it's all oriented randomly so that you'd get like a field of clouds or field of, you know, nebulae. Um, so that works perfectly in Redshift, whereas Octane just kind of dies when you try to do that. So what I ended up doing was just kind of like creating a single image of, you know, a pretty nebula with different levels of subsurface scattering and different, you know, scattering colors and just kind of taking a bunch of Mitch's, uh, VDBs and like kind of art directing them into one still rendered that out and then took that as a source for, um, just a bunch of planes. It's kind of like the Andrew Kramer trick. If you've ever seen his breakdown on his, uh, Star Trek titles where in element 3d, he had just a bunch of bendy planes for these nebulae. Um, so it was just, I didn't even bend them. I just put a bunch of different planes in Z space and scaled them differently. And then it was just like two images drove the entire nebula system for that. Uh, it looked um, awesome. Yeah. It looked Thanks, really man. good. And it's, um, yeah, it's really fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying like coming back to concert visuals. Cause that's kind of where I started. Yeah. And I took this crazy roundabout, you know, path through the industry, but now I'm finally coming back to concert visuals, which is kind of like my home, but in a way where I'm not like with this crappy company that's like making all the decisions for me and where they couldn't really sell the creative work. Um, so I'm just coming back to it with, you know, and now people are coming from to me for that space stuff, which feels good. And, you know, it's definitely one of my obvious <laughs> big interests is sci-fi art, you know, definitely. 
was I was interested to know um, does Katy Perry have any sort of input, or is it just purely um, whoever's doing the production for the shows that you're sending the work to? There was a director for the show, and I think he had most of the input. It was really unclear to me. I was like talking to a new person every day at this company, uh, <laughs> and I'm just like working from home, you know. So I'm just like, okay, whatever. Uh, so I have no clue. I think Katy Perry saw it and had some input. Like originally, we had like a lot of Katy Perry imagery in there. Like she was getting projected by all these satellites that were flying past camera. So they were like, we were flying through these kind of like hollow matrixed images of her that looked all digitally distorted and stuff, which I thought was way cooler. Yeah. But then we just took that out completely, you know? <laughs> um, so I don't know. Uh, I think she liked it. I mean, it's the intro to her show right before she comes on. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, it didn't like hit me. It didn't hit me until like I actually saw it on YouTube, you know, and I still can't share the actual, uh, full clip from the show until, um, the tour is over apparently. But yeah, it's, um, it was it was really cool just seeing like that play and everybody their crowd getting super hyped before like the screen splits open and out comes Katy Perry in this ridiculous like glimmery like you know uh, suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it was um, my interest in knowing how her involvement is that it was really quite colorful and vibrant. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And that was just my decision. I was like, if I were Katy Perry, I'd want Guardians of the Galaxy space yeah. rather than like bleak, bleak, sad space. I mean, the funny thing about that, though, is that, like, at one point I got this message from someone at the company that was like, is this how photorealistic it's going to look? I'm like, what? I, don't, <laughs> I don't, I was just, I ignored it completely. It's like, I don't know what that means. Like, you can either go, like, it looks like, you know, some kind of photorealism. It look, it's like, do you want it to look like Guardians of the Galaxy or do you want it to look like Interstellar, you know? It's like, there are different yeah. styles, but, like, how photorealistic it's, is it going to look just kind of like that question kind of rubbed me the wrong way yeah it's it's um there's so many examples it's like well it's stylistic for an execution right it's like when you make a movie <clears throat> is it photorealistic doesn't really come into equation is it yeah like, no how does it look yeah. for the movie because movies like don't look photorealistic like reality is boring yeah <laughs> uh you know like they look lit they look like stylistic and cool and we're used to seeing like things that are cinematic and that's what we mean yeah. when we say photorealistic a lot of the time but when you know when artists that are overly technical cg artists that are overly technical uh go and make like perfect photorealism a lot of the time they just light it with an hdri which looks like reality but it looks boring and it doesn't go to that next level so you could spend you know, endless time picking away at like the, the intricate modeling and texture details and all that. But none of that will come to life unless you're lighting it properly, like a movie set and adding some style and kind of interesting color looks onto it and, you know, and art directing it. So there's a big difference between photorealism and something that's properly art directed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, definitely no. Um, yeah, it's, it's a conversation I've heard with top directors over and over um, was working with CG artists who are very more technical based rather than artistically vision because it's easier to totally. hit real world than to come up with the vision to implement. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, you you were a big fan of all the FX PhD stuff, right? So you yeah, saw all yeah. those talks with Dennis Murin and all that, and he was like, kind of like, I mean, I love Mike Seymour and Mike Seymour is also a really good artist, but it was that there was this one conversation between the two of them that was really, really funny. Cause Dennis was like talking about the eye lights in Jurassic 
park, you know, and how he like, you know, got this idea to give the velociraptors a little bit more eyelight, right? And and Mike was like, but you know, didn't you want to like do that with like HDRIs? Didn't you want to like put in HDRIs? And Dennis is like, I don't care about HDRIs. HDRIs suck. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just a really funny it was yeah, it was just a funny conversation. Maybe that's what like originally planted the idea in my head to some some degree, you know. Oh, it just makes sense like when you think about it, um when you're making visual content that you want to be engaging, it's um, what mm-hmm. is making it engaging. That's what you're trying to find. Right. It does, but it also doesn't because we're constantly bombarded with stuff like Grayscale Gorilla Studio HDRI packs. <laughs> and like everybody's like talking about HDRI packs all the time. Like, w- which HDRIs you got, bro? You know, wh- what are your cool HDRIs? Oh, this one's the perfect one, you know? But yeah. In reality, there is no there is no perfect one because they're all baked lighting solutions. And you know, if you want to do it, like make it look really good, you have to like light stuff from scratch. Just like with with modeling, you know, if you really want to create your own designs, you have to kind of model it from scratch too. And so that's why I'm finally kind of diving into that world. Uh, but I'm also trying to do it in the least painful way possible, which is to me Fusion 360. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're bang on, man. Because uh, I I bought all the HDRI packs and I was when I was first learning Octane was chucking them in and then found that like I was fighting against it I was trying to put area lights mm-hmm. in and then I was just like switch off the HDR and then suddenly I'm like oh yeah. oh that's way prettier yeah yeah it, totally. but it's like <laughs> oh, the highlight's not where I want it I'm just gonna move it over here and not fight against mm-hmm. what's baked into the HDRI I think it comes from um that background of photography and cinematography and knowing totally. that you want to like move the kino back a couple of feet and then you know it's going to drop off so right much more exactly and, yeah yeah and that just the knowledge that on set you know cinematographers will do completely different lighting setups for the close-ups and for the wides you know yep. depending on the circumstance like they'll just walk the lights out walk them in you know as long as it matches stylistically and has the similar kind of mood it doesn't matter if the rim light is you know popping from one side of the face to the other during you know in a cut like um it's more about maintaining a consistent mood throughout the piece you know and, and having that emotional connectivity uh versus like technical what's what's perfect you know because like if you do like a just a forward and then a reverse and you've got a rim light on somebody the second you go to the reverse that light is blasting you in the face you know and like that you wouldn't want that you know on a on a live action shoot yeah yeah it's um it's always interesting when talking about lighting and it it's the same with with 3d it's also about what's under those lights you know what what are the materials like what are the actors wearing what are the, you know mm-hmm. what are the colors what's the color palette um totally what's what's the lens um focal depth what camera angles are you using what camera movements you you know it's thinking about and translating all of that into the 3d um mm-hmm. it's the same thing basically yeah i mean that's why i recommend you know like getting in front of or like getting really familiar with the camera like yeah. buying a DSLR and just messing around with it because I f- I was totally gimped I was like a cripple until I actually bought a DSLR um yeah and I mean yeah. it's yeah and and having a practice with some physical real world lights and also get some black card and play around with like actually focusing exactly. on some elements and understanding how crafting the light impacts so much more totally yeah um, so with the walk away video, it's not mm-hmm. the first music video that you've worked on. You've got a bit of a past 
um, history. That's true. Yeah. I f- yeah, that's true. I feel like, um, that's been definitely a, a thread throughout my career is, is tackling, uh, ambitious music videos. And it's a really fun art form because usually you're working directly with, uh, the artist, at least the music videos that I've worked on, you know, have been pretty close to the actual artist. Um, and they're, I kind of, I really enjoy indie projects. Um, because a lot of the time indie clients are like, I don't know what to do. You make it, you make it cool. Like give it your flavor versus like recently I've been working with more, um, ad agencies and a lot of the time, you know, they'll come to me with like very defined briefs. Like here's the thing, make it, and I'll make it to the best of my ability, you know, but the creativity is kind of taken away from me, you know, whereas uh, I'm pretty comfortable at this point with a blank slate, which is really cool. It's like I can kind of direct projects on my own, which is, you know, feels good. Um, and yeah, that's one reason I like uh, music videos. And I guess it goes back to, let me think, I've done quite a, quite a many music videos, but one of the biggest ones I did um, was this uh, Dave Matthews band music video, um, which was silly and ridiculous. Um, and at that moment was like the most ambitious, you know, project I'd ever worked on. I spent probably like 500 hours on it, but we, we got Dave to agree to let us make, you know, this video for him. And my art director buddy, uh, Aaron, um, came up with this weird concept, uh, that had him in an insane asylum, like seeing himself on TV, uh, singing and pumping up this huge balloon version of himself and then falling off a building. So just like super weird, like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm in, you know? And so, but it was cool. Cause at this point, you know, Aaron and I had worked together on so many projects that he was comfortable, like, um, trusting me with the CG realm, you know, and was like, we're going to do a big old green screen here, you know? And that's something I had never, uh, you know, done before. Um, and it was, you know, another instance where I was going in blind, you know, having no clue if I could pull it off. Uh, we rented this big warehouse, um, and we built this giant green screen wall. So at first we were looking at places with Sykes, but they weren't, you know, the right vibe. And, you know, Aaron was all about treating Dave in like this, you know, rock star way. So we, we went and rented a, a warehouse so we could kind of control the environment a little bit more. Um, uh, and then, yeah, we also built this like a insane asylum set, and I was, you know, putting little yellow tracking markers all over the wall. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'd never done that before. And then the owner of our company was like, wouldn't it be funny if you had no idea what you're doing right now? And this was all just some sick joke to convince us it was all going to, you know, it was going to work. Because, <laughs> like, it just looks like when you're doing that, it just looks like, you know, some kid's party gone wrong. You know, just like <laughs> my kids stuck all these tape crosses on the wall. They're bright yellow on green. Yeah. You know, it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. I, cause like, and these guys especially were like kind of anti CG or it's just like not in their comfort zone and they'd never like, you know, seen a shoot like this before. So it was like freaking them out. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember my first green screen um, project where I was on set and, um, and everyone's like turning to you saying, so are the markers in the right place? And, and going, yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. As long as you're confident, you know, you're going to make it work, whatever happens, you know, if you have to roto the whole damn thing, then that's your fault and you just do it. Yeah. You know? I, oh man. Yeah. That, it's funny how, when you think back to a project, um, with that one in particular, I just suddenly just remember the pain point of it was, um, the camera operator had just cranked up 
um, one of the settings. And so mm-hmm. thinking that sharpening it would make my life easier. Oh, no, um, that's awful. And it's just. So like, you had to deal with all this in camera fringing and sharpening uh, and stuff. Yeah, man. It's the worst. And it's like, yeah. oh, we're doing a green screen shoot and you just stuffed it all up. Like, <laughs> that's terrible. I have to eat into the key, just get rid of that, like, white rim light that, like, one yeah. pixel around everything. Yeah, the, yeah, it's not just a white because like when you sharpen it, it's like white and then black. Yeah, you're having to deal with both yeah. scenarios at the same time because the sharpening adds all those black, like you know, nasty uh, fringing lines in there. Yeah, it taught me it's terrible. It taught me how much um, uh, light wrapping can hide. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, just choke it way in and slap a really massive light wrap on it. Looks just like Peter Jackson's work, you know, ready to go. That is exactly (laughs) what I did. And everyone was awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. That's great. It's like, whoa, it's real bright because unluckily the back, what was being in the background was like um, projected Mm -hmm. screens. And so I could just up the glow and and everyone bought Mm -hmm. it. So it was like sweet. It fit in well because the background was actually brighter. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's, I mean, that's one thing, like I've done a fair amount of keying, you know, but like. And, and there are so many like new courses on there from FX PhD on, you know, like getting better at keying. But at some point it's just like, I'm banging my head against the wall and I, it's like, I won't feel accomplished if I can like, you know, make, you know, some crappy footage going in look slightly better because I did all these crazy techniques and, you know, er- edge erodes and all this stuff in nuke. At some point I gave up. I'm like, this isn't making my art significantly better. Yeah. Like I can get away with a semi mediocre key on a lot of this stuff and then go from there. I'd rather learn, you know, 3d and other stuff that's like more interesting and has a more clear impact rather than this other stuff that seems like very technical, you know? Yeah, totally. That project that I was working on, that was my, um, learning by fire for myself where I was doing it in shake Mm -hmm. when shake was the, Oh, nice. That's awesome. Of choice back then. And it was like, if I don't push myself into a project and use it, um, I'm, I'm never going to learn. And I think I was doing the FX totally. PhD course that uh, Ron Brinkman mm-hmm. was doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way back. Is that the guy that I think I remember that? I mean, I didn't ever watch the shape classes because that was before my time. But was he the guy that wrote the compositors um, book? I think I saw interviews yeah, with that dude yeah. on FX PhD. It was cool. He worked on like... Uh, what's that movie speed or something? Yeah. You like put the birds in. Yeah. Yeah. And the map painting, you know, <laughs> and, and he was way back in the day of, um, this week in photography, a podcast that has stopped producing, but he was on that way back with Alex Lindsay and the old school crews of, um, nice. ILM days. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but then it's kind of, I've, I came to the same conclusion as you when you're early in your career, you are exploring all these different areas. And I was looking at visual effects and I was looking at flame and shake mm-hmm. and then nuke came out and I was learning all this stuff. And I'm like, I, I just, I want to create from scratch, not clean up mistakes or exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, since then I feel like after effects has become, at least for me, like, um, almost like a, a, a flame, you know, in that you can get things done really quickly. And I, I've used it on, you know, in like supervised edit sessions with ad agencies before to do kind of like work in real time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it won't play back in real time, but it's at least good enough to like hack through things really quickly and flexibly. Um, you know, it's not designed from the ground up to be like, like a color session or like a, you know, like how flame is, is this dedicated massive beast so that people can kind of composite in real time. Um, 
but it's good enough that you can, you know, hack your way through it. Yep. I, I, I do know what you mean. I've, um, I've been trying to push After Effects to be a little bit more like that and using um, proxies a lot more. So rendering out full res proxies. Oh, cool. So when, some, when an element's locked down, sort of it's pre-comped and then proxying that out. And then it's just amazing how much faster it makes your workflow. And, mm-hmm. um, and it almost is kind of real time when it's just dealing with um, ProRes video. It, it can handle yeah. it then. Yeah. Interestingly, like the, the format that, that plays best with After Effects, DPX. one of the formats that plays best. DPX. Yeah. You saw Chad Ashley's. <laughs> yeah, so for my music video, I actually rendered a uh, 10 bit DPX for everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't render, you know, EXRs or anything like that. It was all baked color. I mean, I hardly did anything in After Effects yeah. with music video other than take every image sequence and convert it to ProRes, <laughs> you know, for editing. Yeah. yeah. Because um, on the flame, that's exactly what it was doing. And the same for Smoke. They're basically on the fly mm-hmm. rendering DPX sequences back in the day. I'm not sure if it still works that nice. way. So, it's, right. yeah, it's... um. I think with After Effects, it's gone into the caching of it rather than rendering mm-hmm. out. But I think when it's rendered out, you've got that file format just sitting there. So that's what I'm kind of mimicking, I suppose, with a full quality proxy workflow. Totally. It'd be better if it was more integrated, but uh, it's it's the tools that we, we use to get the jobs that we kind of work on. You know, as individual artists who you're going to be working in different areas of the industry, so different tools are going to benefit you. I see that Final Cut Pro X just announced massive updates. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I know a lot of people who love that because they can do some really nice motion design with motion in, in mm-hmm. the editor. But then it's like, well, if you're working in Cinema 4D with After Effects, they, they kind of play quite nicely too. Totally. Um, real quick, getting back to, I never finished my little story about that uh, first you know, big music oh, video yeah, pro- yeah. project for the Dave Matthews thing. Um, so the highlights were when I got to use a leaf blower on Dave Matthews as he was flailing around while <laughs> lying on an apple box to sell him as if he's falling. So like green screen floor, he's like flailing on the apple box. Uh, and like leaf blowers to this day, I think are the most useful tool on, on set. Um, like the, you know, the bar mitzvah music video I told you, or the bar mitzvah intro video I told you about with the kid on the magic carpet, like that one, I wasn't on set and they didn't use any kind of leaf blower, even though I told them to, they're super lazy. (laughs) And so like for that whole video, I've got this like magic carpet that's flapping all over the place, but his clothes are totally static and it pisses me off so much. (laughs) Um, so yeah, leaf blowers are really good. Um, it's the same as the contact lighting. It's basically just exactly anything you can do to get your CG object when you're doing that, you know, the kind of like CG plus live action thing, you want to think of any way you can to get, um, that interaction. Yeah. Um, and then the other highlight was on set. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm deathly allergic to fish. Right. And so I was at this craft service table and I reached down to grab a piece of what I thought was Gouda. Um, and I go, Ooh, cheese. And Dave Matthews is like right behind me and reaches kind of over my shoulder and goes, Ooh, trout. And I'm like, trout. (laughs) Um, so so then I like, you know, don't touch it. And then like, I explained to him that I'm deathly allergic to all fish. And, and he looks at me like very blankly and seriously and goes, you would have been no more. (laughs) (laughs) It's like super weird, dude. Um, anyway, so yeah, that was fun being on set. Um, 
and then of course like the DP at the end of it was like uh, giving everybody hugs and I like go up to give him a hug and he was like this total prima donna and, and he like you know like almost gives me a hug and he's like wait a second you haven't done anything yet and I'm like oh you freaking dick <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when anyway that's just a pet peeve of mine that you know um, that just because you're a CG guy you get kind of like treated like oh well you haven't done anything yet you, you've just done the vfx supervision and we don't even know if this is going to work yet so let's see let's see the you know let's see the money let's see what it looks like at the end you know just anyway um but i ended up working on the project for like two or three months um and it actually became like an investment for the company which honestly i think had to something had something to do with them declining and laying off my friends because <laughs> um, we spent like a lot of resources on this project because we thought it was going to totally blow up you know we were all convinced that it was going to be the best thing ever um and it didn't um and I spent, I think, close to 500 hours on it with all the keying, like the 3D tracking and the CG cities I put in. And I used uh, Element 3D's, you know, Metropolitan Pack for the background buildings because at the time it was way easier to, there was no Octane scatter. So, you know, that's kind of like, that was like my cloner. And, um, you know, it was Andrew Kramer kind of showed how to do that and makes it made it easy to create like really elaborate looking cities. So I used that for the background. And then I used... Um, octane for the very first time ever for the foreground hero building so i could get like actual shadows and i had no clue what anything was i like you know grabbed like an octane glossy material and threw it on as a texture and i was like oh octagloss (laughs) i didn't even i was like i thought it was called (laughs) octagloss this is like 2013 and i yeah i had no clue what i was doing but i knew it was fast um and uh yeah, it definitely made like the hero building look a lot better, a lot more realistic. Um, and at the time, I convinced my boss to buy like a souped-up uh, uh, graphics card for the 2010 Mac, which was uh, you know the Quadro K4000, I think, or the K5000. I can't remember which one. Um, which was like 1,800 bucks, and I thought it was like, oh, it's you know, it's the best graphics card. It must be the best option, which obviously is not the case at all uh because i hadn't done my research and didn't know that the gaming cards are actually like way better so that was funny but not my money so <laughs> all good um yeah and then um we also uh ordered like a three thousand dollar custom dave, giant dave matthews balloon uh and then took it out to the parking garage and chucked it off the roof at the camera and this is another instance of like getting that interaction so um we got it like kind of falling and then reversed the footage, you know, so it kind of like looked like it was falling upwards. So this is Dave's POV when he's falling off the building. Um, and then, uh, I chose the takes specifically where it kind of ended up rolling down the side of the building because that gave it that like squish. Um, and so then I could place it like against the CG building and make it look like it was practically interacting and squishing along the side of the building. So I was like always looking for those moments where, you know, something was happening, happening practically to, um, sell the CG basically. Yeah. And being aware of what is going to add to it and knowing that that's something that you're not going to have to do later on as well is it's removing the work from the post-production side of it I think um, if, if totally. more people had that understanding a lot of po- people in posts lives would be a lot easier <laughs> for sure for sure yeah so yeah there's so many people that just think you can you know the dudes on set just think if you like paint something green then it's gonna yeah. vanish you know yeah. or like <laughs> it was funny I was like watching some Freddie Wong behind the scenes at one point and they were like when they wanted to get people to shut up about something, like they would just paint something green. They'd be like, 
Oh, it's the magic thing. Like pe- people <laughs> wouldn't trust them that they could do something in CG. So they would just like paint something green, even if it didn't need to be green so that all the people on set would treat it like this mystical object and like just shut up about it. Oh, it's green. It's green box. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's VFX. Don't touch it. <laughs> uh, yeah. The wonderful world, but hopefully a, a lot more people in production are diversifying into post and understanding that I think with the democratization I think so. and trying yeah it's all getting more democratized for sure yeah, yeah. I've definitely seen that with um, directors who are just really upskilling their knowledge of um, yeah so that they can go in because I think the budgets are tighter so you need mm-hmm. to be able to go well, how can we make the vision work for this budget which is tight so totally. if you're ignorant it's got ignorance costs you a lot of money yeah it's true for sure and now it's time for the pro video picks it's the time of the podcast where we do the pro video picks <laughs> nice yeah so if we'll just do one if it's all right of each section oh that's totally fine by me cool. yeah for for those of you listening i kind of went ape shit and like i couldn't stop at one i had to like do like 10 or something of everything i'm like who do you follow all these people who do you you know what what's your favorite video i can't like choose my favorite video so so i said today that um that we're gonna have to do another follow-up episode where we just do (laughs) who you're following and what are your favorite kind of things yeah Yeah, totally nice nice i think that sounds awesome i think that'll be a really cool episode actually Totally. Okay, so um, we start off with the pro video pick. So that can be literally anything you want it to be. So what would be cool. your pro video pick? Um, I'm going to pick um, this FX PhD course uh, by Ryan Summers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called How to Work Fast, uh, Fast and Flexible. I think it was MoGraph 212. And I watched like years worth of FX PhD, right? I was like subscribed for, you know, I, I mean, much like you did for, for many, many years, but I think this was out of everything, my favorite C4D course I'd ever seen. Like he talks about, like gets into like more than just how to click the buttons, talks about the theory behind a lot of motion design, how he tricks out after effects and cinema 4D to work better for him. He talks like has a whole lecture on like pitching and creating decks. He has a lecture on failure and like how he, he put like tons of effort into this one, um, you know, like, uh, pitch for, for, I don't know. He was like, they were competing against PSYOP and, and they like went way overboard and stayed up for 48 hours straight, just like total crazy people. Uh, and they still lost, you know, and like how he dealt with that. So I thought it was the most interesting, like most diverse, um, uh, you know, FX PhD course ever for, for, at least for me, like it was definitely like the one man bands kind of, mindset and kind of why I was attracted to it for sure. Yeah, I um those those particular types of classes are really awesome. Back in way back I did one with um Gareth Edwards who um Yeah, that's another yeah. one that I had on my on my little and by little I mean giant list of picks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, yeah, it's the same kind of mentality, you know. Yeah, Gareth Edwards uh, for those of you that don't know, is uh, the guy who directed uh, Godzilla and then more recently the newest uh, Star Wars. But he also had this uh, movie called Monsters, Monsters which yeah. was incredible, where he did all the VFX himself on zero budget and went to like, down to like, I don't know if it was Costa Rica or somewhere in South America, and just like hired people on the spot to act in his film. He had two main actors, but it was just cobbled together and then went back home and for like a year you know, created his monster movie and it turned out extremely well for a zero budget film. And just, yeah, yeah. dude is like 
his mentality of like creating an Excel spreadsheet. And he's like, okay, if I just, you know, pace myself and work 10 hours a day for the next year, everything's going to be fine. I can relax, you know, so yeah, but that launched his career and launched him into being able to, you know, be the director for these major, major Hollywood films. And he's, yeah, he's just such a success story. He's everybody's hero. Yeah, you know, totally. I, I really followed his career as well. Yeah. Um, I think those, and his after effects class is still good. Like if you, you know, it's old, it's from like, I don't know, 2010. Uh, but if you go watch it, it's still got amazing techniques in there. Yeah. It yeah. was really interesting um, and watch Monsters and then know that a lot of the time they were filming the background plates of things and not really actually knowing what the visual effects were going to be. <laughs> Just getting lots right. of footage and figuring it out afterwards, which is a crazy kind of guerrilla style to filmmaking and it's, it turned out so well. Totally. Yeah. So my pro video pick this week is a Cinema 4D plugin, X-Particles. If you are using Cinema 4D, X-Particles is something you would have heard of. I think the, totally. the reason why I'm picking that is because um, 4.0 is coming out in the near future. Which looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the biggest updates they're touting ever for X-Particles. So... I'm wondering if it's going to be like a turbulence FD killer because it's got all of that, you know, fire yeah. and smoke and stuff in it. And cloth stuff and it, cloth. Yeah, it's so um and I'll I'll have a link to that, but at the same time um tied into that is Grayscale Gorilla have released um the Gorilla Guide to X Particles, which is full mm-hmm. training suite. So I got that for one of my guys and he's been just nice. burning into it. I'm so jealous. I'm like, ah, oh, I just want, I just uh-huh. want some time to like dig into it because he's making lots of um, hardcore, starry, glitter for Christmas execution. Nice. And, yeah, he's like, yeah, it's looking really, really cool. I'm jealous that he's doing an awesome job. Uh, Sweet. <laughs> okay, so who are you following online, David? Um, so I would normally say, uh, my top guy that I'm obsessed with is Raul Marx, who's, you know, the guy that did the semi-permanent 2015 piece that I kind of based uh, my space, space, space video off of. But I talk about him a lot and I need to, I'm going to stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, he did like the Westworld titles, all that amazing stuff. So, uh, but no, I think recently the guy that I'm most inspired by is Joseph Bashara. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his stuff, but um, he doesn't really do motion work from what I can tell. He's mostly just like one of these Instagram heroes, but he creates the prettiest like nature scenes in Octane with Scatter. He creates just, he's so good at creating shaders. Um, like I've been kind of uh, working on getting a, a dust shader that, I, um, that I'm making to look as good as his. Um, and yeah, just some of the prettiest stuff I've seen out of Octane um, as well as like these crazy scenes with octane scatter and like castles, you know, and like these very complex looking things. And he's just also extremely good at modeling. So he'll have like those kind of, um, intense looking, uh, alleyway scenes with tons of grunge a la Cornelius Domrich, you know, very similar in that style with like neon lights and all that. Um, so yeah, I'm just very impressed with his CG skills in general. Awesome. Um, yeah. Cool, man. That's awesome. And where can the listeners and the audience follow you online? Um, you can, you can go to, uh, arievvisuals.com. That's A-R-I-E-V-V-I-S-U-A-L-S.com. Um, I'm also just David Ariev, uh, which is, it's a little bit confusing. So, uh, 
David A R I E W. So that's actually how you spell my name, um, but it's pronounced like a V, which is why I have it as a V in my website. So it forces you to pronounce it right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also the two V's together make a W, but it's just it's just confusing. But whatever. Um, so David Ariev on Instagram, on Twitter, on um, you know Facebook. Awesome. All, all, all the things. If you want to follow us online, we're Pro Video Podcast across all the socials, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, we're also the website, ProVideoPodcast.com. And we have a Slack group. You can find those links and all of David's links as well cool. on this episode, whatever podcatcher you're listening to, or check out the show notes on our website. I'm also Blair Walker on Twitter. So I managed to get that one nice and early on, which is good. I'm sorry. I'm used to running like for three and a half hours long with the program. <laughs> I'm like, what? We're already ending. I know it's, it's, it's a much shorter, shorter show, but that's for true. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's hard just fitting it in around work and life. So keep it nice Absolutely, and short and yeah. sweet. Good for you. Thank you. so <laughs> Thank you so much, David, for coming on the show, man. It's been awesome. Thanks so much for having me on, dude. Yeah. No, it's been such a and pleasure. And looking forward to the, the geeking out about our favorite things in the world kind of yeah. uh, podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll have some <laughs> chats about when we'll do that. And um, I think getting someone else on um, will be cool to do that too. It would be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Really, really appreciate it. And yeah, if you can join us on the Facebook group especially. And if you're enjoying this show and other episodes, please share it out to your social networks. You know, a bigger audience means more interesting engagement. And that's why I'm really keen for you to join the Facebook group where I can talk to you and you can talk to me. And then perhaps you might come on the show one day. Anyway, have a great week and thanks for listening. All right, bye. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes.